Thank you for tuning in to the Aging Well with VNA podcast series. The Visiting Nurse Association of Texas helps people age with dignity and independence at home. With our Aging Well with VNA podcast series, our goal is to help you and your loved ones understand options, know where to get help, and gain tools to communicate your wishes. Through education and proper planning, you'll be giving yourself peace of mind and your loved ones a gift. Hi, I'm Catherine Krauss, and I'm here today with Chris Kulak from VNA and some exciting folks that are going to share with us some history of VNA. This is the first time this has ever happened that we have been able to talk with people that have actually known some of the early founders. So I'm very excited to be here with us, Margaret Valentine, Grace Wright, and Ed Casebeer who are all grandchildren of the original founder, Lillian Beckett. So, my first question is, your grandmother, Lillian Beckett, was a founder at a V&A in 1934. What can you tell us about your memory of her as your grandmother? Well, she was, she was a servant. She had a servant mentality. She cared. And one time I talked to her about all, you know, how did you do all that you did? The Great Depression, World War II. Um, I know she was involved with air raid shelters in Dallas, you know, and they had uniforms and meetings and things like that. And and she had three daughters to raise and uh, our mothers. And um, uh, I said, how'd you do it? She said, well, you know, Margaret, when you care, Hmm. it's amazing what you can accomplish. You do things that if you didn't care, you wouldn't do them. But she said, I I cared. And so that that helped me. I I remember um, her as a grandmother. Um, Ed and I were talking, coming over. And first of all, she was, um, she was my base. We lived in Fort Worth, but sort of a chaotic home life. And when we came over here, I felt like it was my base. And, and of course, Margaret was here and we're close in age. She was just such a solid, um, you sort of knew you were home when, when she was there. She had a, a fun sense of humor. Uh, and and all her daughters did, and I think most of her grandchildren did, but she had a, a, a sort of wry sense of humor. She was very soft-spoken. She, she, when she would give advice to you, she would use the word one. Now, we have lost that, but she would say, one should remember to always um, uh, let others speak first. And... The word one that we've we've lost in our conversations has was wonderful because when you use the word one, you include yourself, you include everybody else. <clears throat> and so you sort of know it's directed at you because she's speaking to you, but you don't feel defensive and you feel like, okay, okay, you know, everybody should do this, so I should do it too. And it was always given very soft-spoken. And she was very logical you know what she said made sense no matter what she was talking about and I think that went over into her professionalism uh, oriented toward the philosophy of there's no problem that you can't solve 
mean, she was, uh, I wouldn't say fiercely independent, but she was, she was always a problem solver. She never looked at something as a, an obstacle that with enough effort you couldn't overcome it. And to give you an example, she had a little two-bedroom house out on um, Richard. Richard, which was just off of Exit 5, now Exit 5. By the time we were children, that was the edge of Dallas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we were, everything further north of there was pretty much undeveloped. And uh, she had a fairly large yard that she raised fruit trees in her yard of peaches and pears. And I have memories of, of our uh, Margaret's mother and my mother and, and their third sister, who's named Helen, of them in the little kitchen of their house. Uh, putting up preserves of uh, the peaches and pears when they came in season. And then we would bring all those back to Fort Worth, our share back to Fort Worth. And we'd eat fresh preserved peaches and pears all winter long. But that's the way she took care of that part of her her diet. And then she also, because there was a, a need for um, certainly meat products, she raised rabbits in a rabbit hutch back behind uh, the little garage that was detached from the house. And uh, she raised them and would, uh, when we'd go over there for occasionally for Sunday dinner, she would slaughter a rabbit and uh, that would be our Which we our weren't supposed to watch, but right. yeah. Yeah, we, we did. Yeah, we were But she prepared this wonderful rabbit dinner, but then she couldn't eat the rabbit because they, they were pets. Mm-hmm. So so came so close to mm-hmm. But she had, in this little house, she had a screen porch on the back, and when Catherine Hoy, her niece, lived with her, um, there wasn't an extra bedroom for Catherine to sleep in, so uh, she took plastic and covered all the screens of this porch so it would hold heat in, mm-hmm. and then put a bed out there, and that became Catherine's bedroom. Just made it work. She made it work, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, that's kind of how she was about everything. She just. She'd make it work. Make it work. She'd figure out some way to make it work. Again, when she was working at Carroll School for the Physically Handicapped, she was not only the nurse, she was a physical therapist. She she had a not only had a can-do attitude, but she had this ability that some people have of gathering the people that could help. Okay, she wanted for these children to have, she wanted an electric typewriter. Okay, this was, this was like buying a whole IT system then. And she worked for three years to get an electric typewriter. And then, and, and she got donations from doctors. She got some from the school system because Carol was a, a Dallas County school. And she made, she had someone make this band and it was metal, and it was adjustable, and soldered to it some way was like a four-inch little rod coming out with a smooth tip. She put that on the children's head, and they typed on that electric typewriter. And they wrote beautiful poetry that was published in one of the Dallas newspapers. That was, she had the idea, she got the support from somewhere, That's extraordinary. and and she knew those kids had no mental disabilities, 
and it was just physical and communi yeah. communications. And um, so when when the schools needed this physical therapist, they sent her to Warm Springs, Georgia, to study with the new idea of physical therapy that that they'd use for President Roosevelt. President Roosevelt. And she came back and she was one of the first physical therapists and at the beginning of physical therapy you had to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. It was like the airlines. If you wanted to be a stewardess you had to be a nurse. Uh, and so, you know, that, that again, she was a, a constant learner. She took courses in occupational therapy. And I have a couple of the clay pieces that she had to make for that course because that was something she was going to do with, yeah. with these people. So that was what was amazing. So, you know, you could take a problem to her and she would say, okay, we can, we can try this. Let's, let's try this. Let's think about it. And she was patient. So, so did she talk with you all about how VNA came about and what caused her to start it? What precipitated the whole she she didn't she didn't discuss VNA with me um, but you also got to remember that she was um, uh, a very um, almost shy at times person mm -hmm. that she never talked about her accomplishments ever, ever. in our life and uh, so Except for me learning about the VNA later on in life, I never, I frankly would have never known about it because she didn't talk about it. Now, she took me to Carol's schools, the reason I remember it, uh, with her on her rounds where she was treating these children that had these physical disabilities. And uh, I think she did that for reasons of one, showing me that uh, how much disability children could do, could perform. Mm -hmm because uh, this was in the 1950s, in the early 1950s. And I remember a, a child throwing a beach ball with his feet, you know, because he didn't have use of his arms. I think it was a thalidomide child. And uh, anyway, um, uh, and then the other reason I think she did it is she always, she never wanted to tell us how well off we are, but she'd show us how well off we were. And she'd do that by showing how other people that weren't as well off, um, we needed to be conscious of and sympathetic toward. Uh, I remember a story, I think you told me about the lady that lived in the house during the Depression, the house down the street in the one room that collected newspapers mm -hmm. every day. Did you tell me that story? No. Uh, there yeah. was a, a lady that lived down the street from her about three doors down the street, three or four doors down the street. She lived in a, in a in a room that was behind a garage, and maybe it was a shed or something, had no plumbing and no electricity. And she would uh, bring, bring a wagon up the sidewalk. In those days, all the neighborhoods had sidewalks. Bring a wagon up the sidewalk, collecting newspapers mm -hmm. every day, which she would then Sell. turn in for a few pennies to, to get her money to live on. Uh, during the depression, and you know, when you picture a, an elderly person having to do that, it, it really, when you're a kid, particularly, you know, that was a pretty tough time. So, uh, which makes me, unfortunately, probably a little less sympathetic toward some of our younger generation. When they talk about how tough it is, I don't think they really understand what <laughs> what bad times are. <laughs>
They need to see more of your pictures out there. <laughs> I remember the, uh, one of the first times I went inside Carroll School, and uh, I said, oh, that's so sad. And she said, oh, no. You know, they're together. They're happy. The children are very happy to be there and to be with other children. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it uh, so she, she could... <laughs> She could see the upside. She could see the advantage where I was just a child, and I thought I'd never seen children like that. And she enrolled me in a program that United Cerebral Palsy had, uh, and I would go downtown to the Sheridan Hotel every Saturday, I don't know for how many months, and they would teach us how to take care of these children, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, if they have a stroke, if they, you know, whatever are learning to communicate. And um, at the end of the course, what we were able to do is when the parents wanted to go out or a mother wanted to go to the grocery store or the mother and father wanted to go out to dinner, they would call us and we would take care of, the, of their mm-hmm. child. And uh, I had a wonderful little girl. and uh, that uh, So I learned a lot. I'm glad she put me in that position to uh, keep me from being a self-centered teenager like I think I was. <laughs> I grew. I grew through her. I'll, t- I'll tell you something about my grandmother that I do remember about uh, V&A. Uh, but I don't know that I called it V&A, but I, you know, I, I said, how did, how did you do that, Graham? It was after that luncheon in 1959. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and, they, and they honored her, you know. And mm-hmm. I said, well, how did you do that? And she said, well, I went to the my grandmother was uh, um, studied at St. Paul Hospital in their nursing program. St. Paul Hospital, I think they had a 110 beds, and it was down on Bryan Street, close to where present-day Baylor Hospital on Gaston is. And the Daughters of Charity ran the hospital. And she said, well, I went to the Mother Superior, and I told her, we're just not getting out to the community. And, you know, you have to think back then, in the Depression, and when she was in school down there, the roads, the streets were sometimes dirt, right. you know. Sure. And there probably were still wagons or buggies that people. But she told the most superior, we're not getting out to the community. There is a need out there. And so this wonderful nun listened to her, took the time to listen to her, and challenged her. And said, well, do you have a plan? And she said, I can make one. And she said, then get, come to me when you've made your plan. So she worked on her plan, and then she went back, and the Mother Superior listened. And she said, well, how are you going to fund this? So this young woman, and I don't know, I do not know how it happened, but she found a young banker exactly the same age that she was, and that was Fred Florence, who years later, by 1959, was the chairman of Republic Bank, right. which was the major bank. The Mercantile and the and the Republic Bank were the biggest bank, and I really I really believe that that relationship had more to do with the the founding. You know, he had the connections, he had the interest, and she did have some credentials by then, and. Uh, do you recall what year that was? Or? No, I wouldn't, but it would have to be before 1934. Right. And um, I really think that it was just kismet that they... Fascinating, because it's interesting, because... 
Fred Florence is the son-in-law <laughs> of Sadie Lefkowitz, who yeah. is credited also with yes. founding yes. the VNA because, Visiting Nurse Association because mm -hmm. she founded the one in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, yeah. And so they... It, it all, but you think Fred Florence met your grandmother first. First, and then yes. And uh -huh. created the relationship. Uh -huh. And he with, probably, you know, a lot both went out. Yeah. We'll, we'll get... Perfect. Uh, get, I, I really get my mother-in-law this. I am and 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 I think I, th I think that when my grandmother met Mrs. Lefkowitz, mm -hmm. that she must have been delighted, just oh. because oh, like my grandmother was spirit. my grandmother was a nurse. Mm -hmm. You know, she and uh, she needed to work, and yeah. she needed to work, and uh, so to have this woman that. You know, you had the, I think the banker's wives were... That's probably how that part came uh -huh, too. The banker's wives and just all of the, I'll call them the movers and shakers. I mean, although my grandmother knew a lot of doctors, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I mean, I think she was delighted. Just absolutely delighted. Yeah. So we first connected when you talked about the luncheon. And luncheon in 1959 mm -hmm. when your grandmother was honored. Mm -hmm. She was presented an engraved silver tray by Mrs. Fred Florence, mm -hmm. who we, we've already talked about the relationship with Rabbi Lefkowitz's wife, Sadie. Mm -hmm. Did she ever talk about um, Mrs. Lefkowitz? I didn't know to ask. Yeah. And so I was born in 1943, so in 59 I was yeah, 16 or 17 years old. And and, and a teenager. Uh, and, and a teenager. <laughs> and, uh, but, but we knew, like, Aunt Grace, Grace Knowles, uh, who was, and Catherine. Mm -hmm. and, and who were so, all involved. Who were all oh, involved. Oh, and other, her and, other friends. And, so and, they, they other were also friends. nurses. Right. Okay. Yeah. They were all public and, health And uh, right. Anna Sewell. And we knew these people. We would see these people not often, but I knew the association was through nursing. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, you know. And and she would mention, well, the visiting nurses are doing this, or the visiting nurses are doing that. But but as Ed said, we she was so modest mm -hmm. you know. that we didn't we didn't know the back history. We just knew. Hey, something was going on that she was involved in. But a lot I get from my mother, you know, okay. because my mother would tell me what was what was going on with Graham, and and we also knew we called her Graham, and she she had no time for hobbies. She worked all the time, and but it wasn't drudgery. Mm -mm. You know, you never so felt like I had a passion for doing it. Yeah, for others. Yeah. yeah, and like. Um, several summers, she worked at Fort Walters in uh, Mineral Wells. Okay. Okay. Fort Walters was um, became the Army helicopter camp. Mm -hmm. It's decommissioned now right. and is a, mm -hmm. a park. She was the only medical person there for several hundred ROTC doing their training, mm -hmm. and I would go out and stay with her. And um, so every minute of every summer, most of the school year was taken up with, with school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but every summer she was, she was working on something else. And weekends she would work at Shriners. Oh, but, uh, you lot. know, you ask about how, how they got to their patients and it, 
As far as I know, a lot of her patients resulted from the school children. In other words, um, and they've tried it. That makes sense. Yeah, that her area of concern was not only the children, but their families. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, uh, one, of, one of the examples, and he may have to edit this out, but Graham told me about that um, a, a teacher called her in on, on one student, and he was six, he was very thin, um, uh, very pale, and so she says, well, I'll go out and see uh, the, his parents. And so she went out to see the parents, made a home visit. He was still nursing. He, he was not taking any solid food. And so she had to, to fix this situation. And I said, well, how did you do it? And she said, you know, I, I got milk. Part of it was a financial thing, is that they didn't have the money for milk and, and other foods. And so she said, I found someone that would help them with their, with their uh, food. And eventually, she said, it, it didn't take long. But that was the kind of community, and we, we talk about visiting nurses, it was community nursing. So in terms of her community service, so she was a public health nurse. Mm-hmm. She worked at um, St. Paul's. What other community service would she be in, both public health, the kids, and then BNA, and then what other things was she involved with well, in terms of her? Shriners. Uh, Shriners. Shriners. Um, okay. And that was... Um, that was also, I think, Shriners was taking care of the children, the 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 burn mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. sort of moved to Parkland. Yes. you know, one of the most clever things I I, I think of her. Uh, she had these three daughters, and in the summer, she would be the camp nurse at the campfire girl camp. Yeah. And for that, my mother and her two sisters got to go to camp all summer. This was in the Depression. Oh, wow. So that meant they were, they had a roof over their head, and they had food, and they had lots of fun. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, she was, it, she made it all come together. So what do you think she'd say today if she... Oh, my knew gosh. What VNA is today, which is a oh, $30 million be- dollar company that takes care Wonderful. of you yeah. know, thousands of people every yeah. day yeah. through Meals on Wheels Hospice and private care. Yeah. I, I think she would feel like, you know, it was just the the uh, extension of, of caring of all the nurses mm-hmm. and all the people that mm-hmm. supported it and raised money that it, it had kept going, sure. you know. Um, and the, this brings tears to my eyes because she died before there was any hospice care, and she died in agony. There was no palliative care. Um, she was in a, a good nursing home for six months. Her youngest daughter was a nurse, and she she stayed with her until uh, the last year of her life. Till till yeah, the last just few months. I don't think yeah. it was a full year, 
it was out near Ed. He he found the the nursing home. But anyway, she was she was just in agony, and I just then when I read several years later where VNA had had started the first hospice and uh, in North Texas, I just thought, oh, mm. you know, she just would have she she would have loved to have seen that not you know not just for herself because she had seen that kind of agony you know of nothing at at the end but that pain and she mm. was a stoic it's very stoic she mm. was a stoic person she never complained and i saw her the weekend before she died and it was you know they were not allowed to do anything i mean the the first hospices in this country and I, I include VNA in it, were the ones that led the way to palliative care and to changing of the laws and to understanding what the end of life should be like. And uh, so, uh, and, and the Meals on Wheels. I did Meals on Wheels in Fort Worth, mainly due to one of my mother's best friends who did the first Meals on Wheels in London. The during, first during Meals on Wheels. During the Blitz. Yes, uh-huh. that's where it was... Yeah, and she was over there with her husband, and and it was mostly military wives. They didn't buy the food, but they cooked it and delivered it. Wow! And went back for the the dirty dishes and washed them. She went said they got up the at four. And they went to to bed. Wow. Went home at eight. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information about visiting Nurse Association, please go to www.vnatexas.org or call us at 214-689-0000.